listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, and on today's episode, we have part two with Joey Eppert. Joey, welcome back to The Rick Z Show. Hey, great to be back. I'm so happy you came back. I'm really excited about today's show. You know, I was thinking over the course of the week, I was thinking about your playing is so percussive. I bet you'd make a great drummer, too. You, you, I bet you do play the drums. I do. Uh, a lot more recently, actually, because I, I bought my kid a drum set. <laughs> As my wife said, she's like, yeah, that's that's for Julian. Uh-huh. I share it. Mm-hmm. So, but he's, he is playing it, um, but I, I am also playing it. Yeah, I've been playing drums, um, working on a new record, and, and I'm playing drums on a lot of the Tunes. Oh, that's so, great. Uh, I'm sort of a, like a singer-songwriter type of drummer. I'm not like super flashy, but I'm all about the groove. And I definitely have a kind of a unique approach, you know. I mean, I've got my brother who uh, is a monster drummer. I mean, he's, you know, I'll never be that level, but, but I'm percussive. I'm definitely a percussive definitely. personality. And your time is impeccable. Well, thank you. You were on Universal Records for a while, or you were being courted by Universal, I think. What happened with that? A friend of mine was interning at Universal, and uh, he came to me and said, Hey, I want to really impress my boss. I want The first thing I bring, I want to be really good. So he took our demo. He played it for his boss. His boss was like, Oh, my God. And then he played it for his boss, and it went right up the chain right to uh, a guy by the name of Doug Morris, who uh, ran the label um, at the time. And uh, he uh, he called a meeting, and I sat down at a table with him, and they were excited. They, they loved the band. And by the way, uh, my friend uh, Kenny was his name. His boss was Heavy D, you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Heavy, heavy D, D. sure. <laughs> There's like a new Heavy D. I'm not talking about that guy. This right. is the yeah, old heavy, heavy D. D. Yeah. Okay, the original Heavy D. Yeah. I don't even know any new Heavy no. D. Yeah, I don't either, but just peripherally. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, they signed us, and we start, We went to work on an album. And uh, it's actually, there's a lot of funny stories there. I mean, uh, I remember going into Universal and meeting with him, and we were in the lobby getting a, the first check cut to go start making the record and it was a check for $75,000 the biggest check any of us had ever seen sure. <laughs> my brother was really nervous <laughs> and as the lady's going to sign the check he uh, apparently had a little gas <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and so he, she literally pen touched the paper and it was just like <laughs> and uh, and we're all just like we didn't know what to do it was like the most awkward moment oh, because we're sign- well, here we are yeah. getting our first check for big glamorous record. moment yeah <laughs> and uh you know, of course, my you know my dad looks mortified, and you know the rest of us are like trying to hold in our laughter. Or just... <laughs> and uh, we made our way to the elevator before we just fell into complete hysterics with the check. We well, did get the check, and uh, yeah, it was that was pretty ridiculous. You've seen a lot of your own success, but between your dad and your brother, there, there's been. Some, I mean, your brother's had a lot of stuff played on the radio. Continues to. Obviously, you're very proud of his accomplishments. You guys work together in a band. Was there ever any brotherly, professional jealousy? Like, you know, I, I should have more hits on the radio. You know, I, I've always felt very uh, supportive of Josh and and the way things went down he was my drummer you know I mean there was a time when he would try to quit my band and you know because he was only 12 years old I would put him in a headlock and threaten to flush his head in the toilet (laughs) you know there there came a point where he became a man where at least he turned 18 and we went we had a little bit of drama and he and he quit and I didn't force him to come back to the band and uh, he took a few years off from playing drums and I, I got a different drummer and moved on years later I got, I got a phone call you know Josh started somebody convinced him to start playing again we're starting to get around and uh, Claudio the the singer of uh, Coed and Cambria called me up and said like hey man like would it be cool like if I asked Josh to play drums for us and I was like would it be cool it would be amazing 
it would be awesome because I'd like nothing more than to see him get back at it because it's it's a real gift that he has. And uh, sometimes you have to walk away from it and come back to it again. And, and that's what Josh did. And uh, those guys needed a place to rehearse. I let them rehearse in my living room for a, a year and they signed a deal and they blew up. So in terms of, you know, jealousy, I mean, you know, some days I'm out there, you know, I have a day job. I have to work pretty hard just to, to stay afloat yeah and the, you know the other days are like like man this is kind of crazy like my brother's out there in front of five thousand people you know rocking it and here i am painting this guy's house but you know i am so happy for him and happy for those guys you know there's certainly a lot of other people out there i think i would be a little you know those guys deserve it they really do they're talented they're uh they put a lot into their music so well you're a gracious brother and a nice guy but the rick z show this week is about joey eppert so how about another song sure
static remains stations too proud to be changed Wow. The only way I can describe that is achingly beautiful. And you make it look so, so easy. It must be that effort blood running through your veins. Which reminds me, you have an uncle that has his own career in music, don't you? Uh, yes, I do. There's no yeah. end to the, the effort talent. Yeah. T- tell me about your uncle. Uncle John. He's uh, known, a.k.a. John the Baker. Mm-hmm. John is sort of the, uh, the punk rock side of the family. Mm. You know, He's had a number of bands from... Slimy Penis Breath to uh, Instant Asshole, uh, mm-hmm. and he's worked with uh, Jello Biafra and, and Four Alternative Tentacles on the West Coast. Uh, he ran uh, an underground punk rock club called Burnt Ramen for many years, and uh, he's an activist, just an all-around uh, really cool guy who, who taught me to acknowledge and, and embrace my emotional side and spiritual side, and, uh, and I'm glad that I had him as a role model. Kudos to Uncle John. It's a really talented family. I'd like to segue back to your DVD for a second, because I want to mention where it was recorded, Nevesa Studios, which is a great area studio. Lots of great work has been done there. Who owns Nevesa? Uh, That's Chris Anderson. You had a great idea. You brought an audience into the studio and recorded a live album, but in the studio, right? Right. Well, uh, yeah, that was the idea. I wanted to document my songs in a live setting so that I I couldn't sit there and just like go over and over and, and keep trying. You know, I just let me capture what I do live. And the only way I can do that is to put an audience in there and just do it. And then I got to pour over the mixes for six months. But <laughs> Were you satisfied with the result? I was very satisfied, yeah, because it, I, I felt like it's hard to play live in the studio without an audience. But there's something about having that energy of the audience there like in a mm. performance, and I'm comfortable with that that I think it helps me elevate my, my performance a little bit. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You know, it reminds me of Elton John's first album, Eleven Seventeen Seventy, And he just basically, it was a three-piece, Elton and, and a rhythm section. And he went in to the studio with an audience, kind of captured that live essence that's, that's hard to capture without an audience. And uh, and it's I think it's one of his best albums and and I've always been intrigued with that whole concept. It's great that you did it. I don't know a lot of other people that have done that. How did the DVD do? It did pretty good. I mean, not probably not as good as as I hoped because um, things kind of quickly went haywire in my world after I recorded that. Um, I, I had uh, just become a father, and uh, I was kind of fully embracing that. And shortly thereafter, my mom was diagnosed uh, with. Alzheimer's dementia uh, mm-hmm. early onset mm-hmm. and uh, and that hit me pretty hard uh, and then a few months after that my son was diagnosed with autism so wow. that was a kind of a double whammy that had me reeling and not really sure I kind of lost my step a little bit when it came to music and then my wife was diagnosed with cancer a few months after that so it was like this wow I was like wow you know. is right <laughs> Uh, Boy, you know, and I'm still sort of coming back to it at this point. You know, it's taken me a long time to sort of come to terms with everything that has gone down. Well, did dealing with that stuff help you write at all? I mean, you certainly don't need any help, but whenever people are going through things, be it extremely happy, extremely difficult, challenging, sad, whatever, a divorce, a marriage, whenever emotion seems to be at its zenith, you you sometimes get a lot of great material out of it. Did did that happen to you? Uh, That is happening, 
I would say. It's happening to me. It's in the and works. It's, it was actually so... I mean, any one of these things, I could have like used music to process it, psychologically speaking, which is great, and it's healthy, and thank God I have that tool, because I, I probably would be a mess without it. But this was, it was a little past that point. You know, It was too many things at once, and, it, and uh, it actually shut me down a little bit for a while, which was bad, because I wasn't growing as an artist. It was too intense. Yeah, but I'm working my way through that, and I've written probably, I don't know, 40, 50 songs now. That's a lot of songs. And I'm not sure what's going to wind up on my next solo record, and it's it's almost like I'm going to, people are getting angry and <laughs> that I haven't put anything out. But I, it's really important to me to, to tell the story of what's happened. I had to get to a point where I could actually put a positive spin on it, because I couldn't put a positive spin on it for a long time. And only recently am I, you know, seeing my mom slip away and lose everything the way she has is like taught me just how precious every moment is and, and every ability that I have to, you know, to talk to you guys, to perform music, to create art. It's just, it's such a gift and uh, and I want to live to the fullest and, and use that ability every day, you know, so I don't want to miss another opportunity. It's a very positive thought. It's a great insight. I'm not surprised I hear that kind of insight in your music when I listen to it and I'm really looking forward to hearing some new stuff too because I'm sure all this stuff will be in the mix. While we're on the subject of the DVD too, I kind of want to hear something else off it. I try to play a lot of music on this show and I'm really motivated to do it when you're a guest because it's just so great listening to this stuff. I I love the way you play guitar. There's something really intriguing about your music that I love. I want to play something from the DVD. Yeah, let's do it. You think we're fools 
Stellar, as always, Joey. Very good. You know, this area, well, not just this area, I guess the whole world has a 50-year celebration or an anniversary in any case coming up. The Woodstock Festival 1969, turning 50 years. That means I'm turning 50 years because that's the year I was born. Oh, actually, I'm already 50. What am I talking about? (laughs) So much for denial. It always comes out in the wash. In any case, with Woodstock coming up, I can't believe it was 25 years ago they did Woodstock 94. You played at Woodstock 94, didn't you? I sure did, yeah. What, what was that experience like? Woo, that was pretty crazy. Uh, I was 17 years old. Michael Lang was my manager. You know, I think I had this maybe a slightly naive idea of what the arc of my career would be. I remember rehearsing in the garage and everybody being like, this is so good, we're, we're going to blow up. And, and I was like, guys, guys, we've got to be realistic here. It's going to take at least two weeks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, two years later, here I was, 17, and Michael Lang was my manager, and... We had a film crew following us around. The plan was to break the band at the at the festival. And, you know, it didn't work out the way uh, we had sort of laid it out. You know, we were supposed to get a nice headlining slot and uh, be of the subplot of the Woodstock 94 movie. You know, things got very political, I would say, like in the area. And we, we took a lot of uh, animosity, I think, from some, some of the groups in the area that were really jealous uh, of the opportunity that we had. And they, and they didn't believe that we were a real band. The, the thing was, is like, just because we're kids, you know, I wrote all these songs. You know, this is what this is what I do. And but, you know, people start the rumor mill and they're like, oh, it's just like a put together band. Like somebody's writing for them. They didn't write that stuff. Listen to those recordings. They didn't play that. You know, we played every note. We wrote wrote it all. It was all our music. You know, you know, we ended up getting pushed from an eight o'clock thing on Friday to like a noon. Mm. But it was still 60,000 people. and, And it was incredible. And we were terrified. <laughs> the music business is a, such a slippery slope. Lots of little changes. The things that you think are coming aren't always coming. Sometimes the things that you think will not happen are are happening. I mean, it, it's a crapshoot, and you just never know. And by the way, I, I was one of those jealous bands. I, I have to <laughs> I have to admit to you. Well, I that's used, cool, man. I played in a band at the time that opened a lot for a band that Ann Lang was in, Michael Lang's ex. Oh, wow. She really liked us, and she approached me around that time, and she gave me Michael's card, and she said, you've got to call his office on Monday. I'm going to talk to him. You guys have to be included in, in the Woodstock 94 local branch of things. And I called his office, and I left a message, and a week later, I I, I still didn't hear anything, and I called back, and I actually asked the secretary, are you sure he's getting these messages? And she said, oh yeah, he's getting the messages. I don't know if he didn't like me, or if he didn't like my music, or or if he didn't like Anne. Uh, You know, they are exes. (laughs) I have no idea what happened. (laughs) But sour grapes soon set in, and I sat on my couch that whole weekend and just was annoyed. (laughs) Yeah. But what what are you going to do? Well, that's, you know, that's what I might be doing uh, this anniversary of Woodside. So <laughs> I can relate, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I do remember Michael bringing in like six crates of demos. You guys want to go through these? Right. You were you supposed know. to send demos in yeah. and they were going to analyze I them. I mean, I think, you know, I think he was pretty overwhelmed with the amount of uh, submissions. And we did find ourselves in a position to influence his choices a little bit. And we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we got him to put our favorite band on the bill from the area, which was a band called Peace Bomb. Mm-hmm. I know Peace Bomb. And, uh, 
you know, personally, I felt like Peace Bomb was probably one of the most original groups in the area, and what they were doing was unique, and I thought that they deserved it. You know, so I took what little influence I had, and I, and I pushed for that, and uh, and they got a better slot than us, <laughs> and uh, it was a legendary performance, and uh, wow. and I'm so happy for those guys. That's great. That's a great story. You're filled with great stories. There's a lot of good ones. I love having musicians on the show and talking about music and hearing their experiences because sometimes it reminds me of my own, and sometimes there's new stuff in there, and it's always interesting. The Hudson Valley is so rich with musicians and talent that it was the impetus behind doing this show. But the Hudson Valley's got a lot of really interesting things about it. It's known for a lot of things. Of course, we've got the Hudson River runs right through the center mm-hmm. of it. we got tons of apple orchards everywhere. We make some of the state's best wine in Athens. Uh, all kinds of stuff. One unique thing that a lot of people may not realize is Ulster County, right across the river from where we sit now in Dutchess County, it's one of the UFO sighting capitals of the world. There's mm-hmm. Sedona, Arizona. There's certain parts of Nevada. That, that area of the country. But here, we've got Pine Bush, which is near Newburgh, uh, and yeah. that, that's got some kind of strange connection with a lot of sightings. And then there's Kingston. You're from Kingston. Yes. You, yeah. I read somewhere you had some kind of encounter or sighting, and I think you had a blog or something you wrote for a while about unidentified flying objects. Well, it's a, it's a subject that, that, I'm, uh, that I am fascinated by, and I am certainly have a lot of ideas, but I, I did actually witness a mass UFO sighting. It was a long time ago. I was a kid, but the memory is very clear. It definitely, it was in the newspaper. It was part of the Hudson Valley UFO wave, if you will. It was in 1983. Where was the sighting? Uh, It was actually in Hurley uh, when I saw it. I was with my grandparents and my brother. Josh was only three at the time. I'm not sure how how much he really remembers. I mean, he remembers the experience, but we come back from, uh, from a dinner. It wasn't quite dark. You know, the sky was purple. You know, it wasn't, but it wasn't... Twilight. It was twilight, exactly. And uh, we get out of the car. Their house was on Benson Court in Hurley, and it's kind of a little short, little dead end road. And at the top is uh, just some trees. And we look up and get out of the car. And my grandfather's staring. And then I look, and there it is. There's this just massive object just floating slowly, crawling across the sky. And I could see it clear as day. Uh, the shape of it. It was one object it was big it was kind of diamond shaped i guess you might say like uh not not quite uh maybe like a flattened out sort of diamond shape but i could see i could see it this it was twilight you know mm-hmm. what i mean i could see this thing it had lights on it red and green and white and i remember looking at it and uh and thinking like wow this is really cool like i guess this happens from time to time you see mm-hmm. you see ufos you know and a lot of other people saw it as well right yeah uh, apparently traffic stopped on uh, route 84 and people were getting out of their cars and just watching this thing and my grandfather goes, he's like, I'm going to go get the camera. I'm going to go get the camera. And I can't, I can't explain this. But it was like the words just came through me. And I screamed, no, no, Papa, no. I wouldn't let him. I wouldn't let him get his camera. I have no idea why I did that. Wow. I felt like it wasn't even me. It, but it was like, I don't know. If he took a picture of that thing, I don't know. I don't know if like we would have been in trouble or someone would have showed up the next day. But um, the article in the paper the next morning said it was a flight of 14 planes flying in formation. And it was at that point I was like, wow, like, uh, the newspaper's lying. <laughs> like, that, the newspaper can lie? You learned early. People don't tell the truth? Like, it really, it was kind of a slap in the face. I was just a kid. Like, it just didn't compute. I was like, 
Um, it's really you know. fascinating. Uh, I know a lot of people have had sites over the years, sightings, I should say. I never have. I've lived here my whole life. I, well, of course, probably need sight to have, <laughs> have, a, have a sighting, I guess. That would make sense. You know, I never heard any UFOs, that's for sure. Um, they are pretty quiet. I know it's uh, not a musical note, but it w- I was so intrigued by that when I read it that I had to ask you about it. But back to the music, because once again, we've just time has just ebbed away like you wouldn't believe, and we're all out of time. I, I would love it if you could take us out with another song, but before we do that, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you again for coming on the show and playing this incredible music of yours. You're a hell of a guitar player and writer, and you're a really nice guy, Joey Eppert, and uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you a lot for coming on the Rick C Show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, having a great time, and uh, you know, definitely I'll come back and do it again. You're welcome anytime. Oh,
My Lord, that was amazing. Thank you, Joey, so much once again for taking the time out and coming and speaking with us today and playing so well. You're a great artist. Come back anytime. You've been listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. Every week, produced and engineered by Rusty Johnson. Please come back next week and listen in. We'll have another great Hudson Valley artist, and we'll see you then. (laughs) 